Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast with Chris Broholm. This show will inspire, motivate, and teach you how to learn foreign languages the best way. On this show, you'll hear incredible stories from amazing language learners who've learned 5 to 10, even 30 plus languages, as well as industry experts who help shape modern language learning through innovation and research. As we dive into language learning methods, techniques, and apps, you'll quickly discover what works and what doesn't. This is the Actual Fluency Podcast, and this is Chris Broholm. this episode by giving a quick shout out to the show sponsor Optilingo. John T and the team have been amazing for actual fluency in terms of support uh, especially in the in this very uncertain year they've also been supporting the Polyglot Cruise and so I just want to say a big thanks to Optilingo and uh, do go check them out if you want to say goodbye to boring drills and memorization and start talking rather than typing into you know boring flashcards so Check it out to Lingo and let's get into the show. All right, I press the record button. We are live. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's uh, it's early for you down under, but uh, because this topic is a little bit alien and foreign to most Europeans and maybe a lot of people around the world, I was hoping you could start out this recording by giving us a little introduction to what is the Mori culture and the language and what got you involved in sort of the spreading it around the internet? Mm, kia ora, Christopher. Um, that means hello in Māori. Uh, just to give you a bit of context, um, so the Māori language is the indigenous language of New Zealand, and and I'm aware that even some people don't know where New Zealand is, but um, you can look on the <laughs> right. map to find out to find out where New Zealand is if you're unsure where that is. But it's the indigenous language of New Zealand, and it's a part of the Polynesian language family. So, um, within the Pacific, there are a number of islands. You're probably aware of Tahiti, Hawaii, Tonga, Samoa, some of those those bigger islands, and then New Zealand is at the bottom of the Pacific, and so we're a part of that language family. The language isn't dissimilar to to Hawaiian um, or Tahitian. It's, it's very similar, in fact. And and our closest um, language relative would be be Cook Island language, um, which is about a four hour flight from New Zealand. It's it's probably our little Pacific Ocean getaway where we go for holidays the most. Um, and so it's this the second most spoken language in New Zealand, next to to English. Um, through our colonial history, um, English has has now become the the dominant language in the country that, that everyone speaks. The language of instruction in schools, the language uh, of media, uh, and, and then Maori is the the language that's spoken most commonly second to English. Um, if you want to ask me any questions, I'll be happy to answer. I'm sure, but that's a, an overview of the I suppose the context in relation to the language and where it comes from. 
Yeah, fantastic. And and I'm sure a lot of people don't have a clue where New Zealand is. I can tell you, uh, if you are listening from Europe, it's uh, very far away. If you're in the US, it's quite far away. You know, yeah. Pretty much everywhere, it's like uh, pretty far away. But um, and, and funny, funny side note, I mean, you're in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I'm actually on the Danish island of Zealand, which I don't know if that makes it old Zealand or not, but... Um, so yeah. we have a, a little bit of a connection there, but um, I, I think the the interesting part for for a lot of people is what is kind of the um, the status of the language and and how do the different groups interact? Like I'm sure a lot of Americans when they yeah. hear uh, indigenous, they think the relationship between so the the, the native tribes of the the Indian tribes of the US. Mm. Uh, is that a similar relationship or can you give us a little bit of, of a description of how that works in, in New Zealand? Yeah, um, well, I'll do a little bit of a timeline maybe. And and it's funny you bring that up because we we were named by a Dutch explorer um, who called us New Zealand. So there must have been a Zealand somewhere in this <laughs> area of the world. Uh, and then it was... Uh, Oh, 1769, I believe, Captain Cook kind of came after the Dutch and then ended up settling the country. Um, so, so that was the, the Brits. And, you know, over time, more and more people started to settle in the country. We had English, Irish, Welsh coming in, and settling in the country in those formative years. Uh, it wasn't until 1840, so some 50, 60 years after the the first arrivals that uh, there was an actual treaty drawn up between the British Crown and and the tribes of New Zealand. So traditionally, uh, society was tribal. Um, we weren't necessarily one people, but we did speak the same language, uh, which was to our benefit. And I've I've been over in the states a number of times and had exchanges with indigenous communities there to talk about language revitalization, and. Um, and I, I know there that the languages are very distinct and very different, even from, from neighboring tribes. But here in New Zealand, uh, we're quite fortunate into, when it comes to language revitalization that, that we, despite s- small dialectual differences, we do speak the same language. And so a tribe was drawn up, a treaty was drawn up between the British Crown um, and, and the tribes of, of New Zealand, the Māori tribes of New Zealand. Uh, essentially what that treaty said is we will, you know, protect you and your lands and you'll get to still have access and, and rule over your lands, but we're going to set up here. And, uh, and, and then once that treaty was signed, uh, it was um, disregarded for a number of years and um, the, the British began their, their conquest and they were, they'd been doing that for a long, long time. We were kind of last in the, I think in the, in the line of, um, colonization. There are many other countries that have been colonized before New Zealand. And so um, they knew what they were doing. Uh, and uh, once once parliament and, and law was established in the country, um, not only did they start to kind of uh, push Māori out and alienate them from their own lands, but they uh, physically, but they started to do that with, with, um, with legislation as well. And that really did affect the the livelihood and the health of our language. Um, when you start to lose your land and your culture, the language starts to to go as well. And also the pressures to assimilate um, were felt. And so one of the biggest things that really led to the disc- decline in our language was um, a 
piece of legislation called the Native Schools Act, which was um, brought into law in 1867, 69, I believe. And that was the first piece of legislation that banned our language being spoken. And um, that was in any school. So um, in any kind of uh, schooling institution, um, Maori children were banned from speaking their language. Not only banned, they were punished and strapped for speaking their language. And so that piece of legislation was in place for nearly a hundred years. My grandmother went to a native school and she was punished for speaking her language when she was a child. Uh, and the other piece of, or the other factor that really led to the decline in our language was the, um, was the urban drift after World War II. Um, New Zealand and a lot of Māori in particular fought uh, in World War II. <clears throat> and in coming home, uh, a lot of Māori started to move from our traditional um, areas, uh, lands, into the bigger towns and cities for work. And again, the pressure again to assimilate, to to be white, to speak the English language was was really strong. And my grandmother was of that um, generation. She was a native speaker, but she didn't speak Māori to her children because, because of those pressures. She did believe, she was of the idea that in order to succeed, for her children to succeed in this, this world, they didn't need their Māori language and they needed English. Uh, and so she was, that was a really common story in a lot of families, um, Māori families in New Zealand, where the grandparents, my grandparents, uh, or the great-grandparents spoke the language, but decided, made an active choice because of those pressures not to speak the language to their children. So in the 1960s, um, this this huge decline was noticed and um, people started to kind of wake up to the idea that if, shit, if we don't do anything now, our language will die. Um, and so there was a lot of movement on the ground in the 1960s through to the 1970s uh, people were petitioning the government to do something about it. They had, um, they were tied to do something about it because of the treaty that had been signed in 1840, which was still a legal mm -hmm. binding document. And that is the founding document of our country. So there was petition um, to the government. There was a, a tribunal set up, a, a court that deals with treaty injustices. And so the confiscation of land, the illegal confiscation of land, um, things like this where the language was, um, you know, beaten out of the people. And so we were able through that treaty to set up certain institutions and things that helped revitalize our language. Um, in the 1970s, we saw the establishment of early childhood centers that would only teach Māori. Um, then primary schools followed, then high schools followed, then media followed. And, and over decades, this has all happened. But now, we are really um, seeing the fruits of those efforts to revitalize the language in the 60s, 70s and 80s, where now we have um, two TV channels, we have multiple radio stations, we have bilingual signage um, in parts of the country, we have full immersion preschools and primary schools, um, we even have uh, two, three universities that are Māori themed and focused and do use the language a lot uh so yeah we're, we're not in a we're not we're not we're still in a vulnerable vulnerable position because we're a minority um and and our language has been minoritized but it's on the rise and um 
we're 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 doing we're doing okay <laughs> great well I, I can't wait to hear a little bit more of of what's happening uh you know in in 2020 and uh, going forward but i just want to remark on on the, the idea that was it 1860 you said you know banning mm. uh, a language i mean it's just mm. to me it just gives me goosebumps because that's like i mean that's that's like just robbing people of their mm. identity their culture and uh you know one thing is banning like you said but also you know actually punishing later on for using it is mm -hmm. uh arguably even worse and i've seen and we've actually heard on the podcast before also with with a uh, similar uh historical um you know timelines that mm -hmm. were a ban led to the decline and uh i guess it's it's just lucky that some people got the idea mm. you know early early enough to uh to turn the tide because uh yeah there's no doubt that that, that would have the trend would have continued downwards i'm, I'm sure if definitely yeah it's it's a scary thought that uh people i mean it was a very it's a much less globalized world so of course we, we it's hard to imagine what people were thinking back then but with modern eyes it's just just a horrible thought i i, I find but you know that's that's just a my little comment there mm. um and of course the, the the british also we have mentioned the the colonial age is not the not the best best of times uh they've shown but um there are a lot of uh instances of of, of those um aftermaths all over the world but what how does it look today you know if if, if we come to mm. kind of the modern culture is it you know uh, try to paint the picture for us of what does it mean to speak the language be part of the group mm in sort of a, a modern era because obviously there's a it's a long time since the colonial time so it mm. might be hard for people to visualize mm. um so can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening sort of to keep the momentum going of course but are you headed do you, do you think it's headed for like a, a bilingual bilingualization i don't know if that's mm. a word mm. even <laughs> of the country where eventually new zealand's going to be fully bilingual or mm. what how do you think it's it's going it's um in in terms of numbers uh there there hasn't been really any solid numbers come out since 2013 which is when our last census was which makes me think gosh there must have been a census recently because that's a long time ago <laughs> but uh, <laughs> 2013 um are kind of the last solid numbers we have it's probably time someone did do a survey uh which said that there were around 125,000 speakers, about 21% of Māori speak the language and about 3% of the people living in New Zealand speak the language. I think that's definitely um, risen, that there are more speakers now. Anecdotally, I'm seeing much more happen. Uh, What's the total population, sorry? The total population of New Zealand? Ooh, it's about... <laughs> let's see, I'm just Googling this. It's close to 5 million. All right. Mm. So I think, so there's about a quarter quarter of a million um, who speak the language. Uh, the government has recently made a commitment to have 1 million speakers by 2040. So 20 okay. years they've set this, this goal. And of course they are... Um, 
doing things and putting things in place to help uh, achieve that goal. Quite an audacious goal. But there is support from the government. There is support. And of course, Māori are in the government as well. It's not like Māori are removed or separate or live um, this um, you know, secluded life in New Zealand. Uh, Māori <laughs> in general are very much a part of the New Zealand society in terms of positions of power and, and parliament and whatnot. Um, so for anyone listening, we're not living out in the back blocks on the reservations and, and we're not in, we are, we are very much involved in the, in the, in the goings on of the country. So there has been this commitment made from um, parliament to, to achieve that goal. And so things are being put in place. Uh, we just celebrated last oh, two weeks ago, Maori language week, which is an event that happens every year where um, it's an opportunity for the whole country to kind of come on board and support the language and in that week, uh, that's been going since the 1970s, since the, the start of the, the, the that revitalization period. And during that week, uh, I saw uh, mainstream news, you know, our, 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 our big news channels, mainstream um, artists, just businesses, organizations, everyone kind of comes on board and celebrates the language, participates in speaking and learning little bits of the language. So as a country... Um, we are moving towards the space now where people are starting to uh, accept the language as ours, whether we're Māori or not, that it belongs to this country, it's unique to this country, it's what makes us unique. It's taken a long time, but in general, that idea has started to shift. Um, we're starting to see value in the language, I believe, as a nation. Um, and a good example of this is um, the haka. We might be recognised um, internationally by the haka, which is the 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 dance that our our national rugby team, the All Blacks, do before they before they play a match, um, and we've become quite famous for that. So traditionally, there's been elements of the culture that non Maori or New Zealanders in general like to take pride in, and the language has kind of been the last part, you know, the food, the, the dance, the, those sorts of things people are, are quite proud of or um, happy to say that that's part of their culture as well as a New Zealander. But the language has unfortunately and sadly been that last part where people are like, oh, yes, and, and we also value the language. But I believe we are coming to that space as a country. Bilingualism is probably the long-term goal. That would be amazing to see bilingual signage throughout the country, bilingual media and all of that um as well yeah well it's something to to work towards at all times and i'm i'm totally happy that you uh explain uh you oversimplify a few of the things and and, and say some things that uh, uh, i'm sure people who are you know more historically aware mm. you know uh, might know uh, or, or think is completely obvious but i can only say for myself and I'm usually a pretty good yardstick for for uh, like the average uh, listener, especially from Europe, that we have so many kind of you know existing notions or presuppositions about uh, you know other cultures and languages, and especially when it's so remote for us, so far away uh, geographically, mm. it can be very very easy to fall into. Mm -hmm thinking like what you just said that you know it's a like a tribal setup you know where it's like you know us versus them kind of setup mm -hmm. so so i appreciate that you, you take the time to explain it 
in in a little bit more you know in the in the basics because honestly i don't know and i i'm sure there are a lot of people that listen that that don't know it either but um you know is there sort of a i notice it when you refer to tomorrow you you say sort of we there's like clearly a you know there's a difference between the groups as a new zealanders as a mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. and within that you have the maori and what do you call the other group just out of interest because i've heard some interesting <laughs> names from uh, the amish call everyone who's not amish english which i mm-hmm. think is funny wow. um uh, you know that's a, that's a good one and uh, i know there's also uh, names from um from the uh, the indian tribes of the us um a lot of them uh, that i probably shouldn't mention but uh how does that work? You know, just to bring it down to the basics for us again. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I say we because I identify as 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 a Maori person. Um, although I am mixed, my mother's Maori and my dad's um, first generation Irish Dutch. Um, New Zealand's a very young country. I think that's the other thing that people who are listening who don't know much about the country need to be mindful of that we were. Um, Okay, you know, Māori have been here for a long time, but in terms of officially setting up a nation, that didn't happen until 1840 when that when that treaty was signed. So we're mm. only, oh, what? I'm not good at maths. <laughs> we're around 200, <laughs> 200 years. Yeah. <laughs> around, around, yeah, around 200 years old as a country. So um, there's been a lot of immigrants coming from all over the world, the majority from the UK. And um, we call those people Pākehā, and Pākehā is a a word for someone who has light skin. That's that's really what it means. So, right. um, it actually goes back to some of our 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 narratives. Um, we uh, we we talk about different fairy folk uh, in our in our narratives. Some of them live in the bush, in the forest, and some of them live in the sea. And one of these fairy folk, kind of similar to leprechauns maybe in, in Ireland, one of these fairy folk, they uh, are called Pākehākehā, and they come from the sea. And so you can imagine these big ships arriving in Māori, seeing these these light-skinned people for the first time. They gave them the same name as these fairy folk that we talk about in our narrative. So that's where the name comes from, Pākehā. Mm-hmm. There's been so much, uh, you know, through the history of colonization and and the fight of Māori against the British and British against the Māori, that that um, story has been construed. And you hear things like, "Oh, Pākehā means white pig or white rat or white flea," and it really doesn't. Um, it does just mean someone of light skin. Uh, it's it's a name now that a lot of people identify with. Who, because um, in New Zealand, when you identify on the census, you identify as a New. So you either identify with your ethnic or, or racial group. So Maori. We have a lot of Samoan immigrants, Tongan immigrants, um, Chinese, and so on. Indian. And then if you're white, the, the the way to identify yourself is New Zealand European. And a lot of people have been five, six generations in New Zealand um, since their ancestors arrived from Europe, from either the UK or Europe. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are starting to say, I don't agree with this um, identity marker. I am not a New Zealand European. I'm a New Zealander. And some people are saying, I'm a Pākehā. Some people have started to really embrace that term, um, 
as a as an identity marker to show that they are of that they are descendants of those people who first immigrated here from UK or Europe. Um, so that's how we yeah identify awesome. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Very clear, very clear. And I, I find the term New Zealand European kind of funny because it's so far apart geographically. You know, yeah. it's, you almost couldn't be further apart. But, you know, I, I know where, I understand totally where it comes <laughs> from. Um, but I'm also reminded of like the American way of you go to New York or something, you meet an American and, you know, they say things like, I'm Irish. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, their seventh time grandmother came here or something, you know, and they still say I'm Irish, yeah. which is a kind of a, a funny uh, way to use the language. But no, but that's really cool. And and when did you first start getting involved yourself in the kind of preservation and well, even uh, the revitalization and the kind of uh, sharing mm. the and actually, sorry, I'll, I'll just bring this in here. I forgot to do this earlier. But the uh, the reason that I learn about you and your name is because a listener called Emma Mooney wrote in, she is a member of your Facebook page, mm-hmm. um, Maori Fraser Day. Yeah. And uh, she said that she's learning the language and she's been listening to, uh, she says, my fascinating podcast. That's nice. Uh, every time I hear it, I think that you really enjoy speaking to Emmy Kelly, who we are today. He's very invo- involved in getting people learning te reo Maori. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, New Zealand's native language, which we're almost Perfect lost. Pronunciation. Oh, well, thank you. Well, maybe I'm a, I'm a natural. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say thank you to Emma for, for uh, suggesting. Uh, and if anyone listening out there has any suggestions for guests, could be uh, similar today, like with a specific culture, language, and you know um, historical um, context. But it could also be somebody who does something for a language learning in, in, in other parts of the world or any kind of aspects so i just want to 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 say thank you for to emma for uh sharing that and um you know so the facebook page i assume is is part of your own kind of projects but when did you first get involved in in the in the uh in the efforts yeah um so i didn't grow up with the language so i said earlier my um grandmother spoke my mum didn't she was uh so i grew up in an english-speaking home and but uh, there was always elements of the multicultural home because you know I had a Maori grandmother, an Irish grandfather, a Dutch grandmother, so it was very <laughs> was elements of all those three cultures in my upbringing. Uh, but, but because of where I live in New Zealand, like the the, the Maori culture was always very present, and when we would go to family gatherings or even just in the home, Mum was very persistent in making sure me and my sister knew who we were as Maori, even though she didn't have the language. So. I mean, I was always interested from a young age and wanted to learn more, um, especially when I'd go to these events or um, our funerals in particular. We have these, a lot of, I suppose, ritual happens in, in our funerals. And so hearing the language being spoken, I always was curious. Well, I want to know what they're saying. I want to know what they're laughing about. And so I started to learn um, as a young person and then just continued on And while I was at high school in my teenage years. And then um, reached a level of fluency, probably around 18, 18 years old. But, you know, you know, with language, it's, an, it's there's not an end line. You just continue learning all the time, <laughs> and um, which I did. And then eventually I got into teaching, um, which is kind of a natural progression for people here in New Zealand who learn te reo. There's, there's, there's media, there's teaching, there's actually there's a lot of jobs you can get into with the language, but those are kind of the main 
main ones where people end up going. Uh, so I moved into that area and started to really want to uh, help people who were in the same position as me at some point, who were either Māori or non-Māori. A lot of non-Māori use and speak the language as well. Um, not that they are the major minority when it comes to the speakers of the language, but there are non-Māori. I wanted to help those people who also wanted to learn and, and share with them what I had learned. Uh, so I started teaching and eventually got a job at a at the, one of the universities here in Auckland, which is where I work now and teach the language, uh, AUT, the Auckland University of Technology. Uh, and then the, when the lockdown happened um, here in New Zealand, the, the first lockdown when the um, pandemic pandemic really hit New Zealand, we went, down, went into full lockdown um, as a country for about six weeks. And uh, I had some spare time on my hands. So I thought, oh, I'll carry on what I'm doing, teaching, but I'll just do it on social media. And, and so if, if anyone does want to learn a little bit of Māori or an introduction to the language, then they can check out a Māori Fraser Day, which is the name of that Facebook group. Awesome. I mean, we're all learning new ways to, <laughs> to uh, learn, well, just about anything in, yeah. in this uh, kind of lockdown period. But um do you want to tell us a little bit about the language? Uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, if people out there, is it? Are there a lot of materials available for learning it? Uh, has the government made any kind of official language schools? Uh, do, is it offered in in high school uh, throughout New Zealand? Like, what what are people's actual options for for mm. learning the language? Yeah. Um, so options of learning the language, if you have. If you have young children, um, you can. There are preschools which are full immersion preschools. Um, I think there's just off the top of my head over four hundred throughout the country. So um, you don't have to be living in a largely populated area. A lot of our small towns throughout the country. In fact, a lot of our rural towns are in different areas are populated largely by Maori, um, and so there are preschools that that only that the language of instruction is in Māori, they're called kōhangareo, which means the, the language nest. Um, then those those children who are brought up in, that, in the language nests, they carry on, they may carry on into um, Māori medium education in primary school. So there's those options available throughout the country as well um, for, your, for your small children to continue learning in the language. And so... They'll learn science, maths, every every subject in in Maori, apart from English, of course. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be taught in English, um, and then that continues on up into into high school years as well. So, someone in New Zealand could stay in Maori medium education from zero all the way through to seventeen, eighteen. Once they hit university, um, there are very few options to continue learning at a high level in the language. Um, as an adult, if, if you're wanting to learn the language, uh, if you don't have access to people in your own family or community, um, then you'd, you'd need to kind of sign up for a course. And so there's courses available throughout the country as well at different learning institutions like universities and, and polytechnics. Um, 
or there's community courses uh, at colleges and things like that that people can sign up for and, and they do a night class, maybe three hours a week, something like that. Those are the kind of main options available to people. Uh, of course, there's informal learning as well, but not everyone has a connection to someone who speaks Māori. Some people are quite isolated from the language. Um, and for those people, I, I always encourage them to, to use uh, technology. So there is a lot of stuff now online. There's online courses. There's, there's different channels on YouTube. There's a, there's a couple of podcasts, not a, not, a, not a lot. I have a podcast which is still in its infancy called Everyday Māori, and there, there are a couple of others. Taringa is another one. Uh, and there's a few apps that are starting to come out now as well. Um, so that kind of, that area, the te technology area, I suppose, where um, is, is starting to grow in terms of uh, teaching te reo Māori. So those are the kind of the, the options available to anyone here and also elsewhere who wants to learn. Very nice. And uh, good job on uh, starting a podcast as well. You know, I've uh, <laughs> been doing this for quite a while and it, it's definitely a very rewarding experience mm. and whenever you get an email from somebody saying they enjoyed the the work you do that's it makes it all all worth it and mm. it's a it's a great technology for language and definitely a, a, a great medium for uh and also relatively convenient for the listener and the the host <laughs> you know it's not too technically complicated to listen to a podcast these days mm. uh, but i just checked uh just as a random uh, side note i just checked uh you talk has a as a mori course um, they they have I think they have about two hundred fifty languages now. So um, I'm good friends with them over at uh, Utalk. So I just wanted to give them a little plug there. The the courses in there it's a, a sort of a phrase a digital phrase book kind of version. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely a, a recommendation. Um, but it's funny, uh, and I just also want to plug a previous episode. I talked to uh, a Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic speaker uh, some months ago, or maybe it's actually last year, where we talked about uh, the decline of Scottish Gaelic in Scotland. And the situation is, is almost exactly the same. You know, it's, it's, you know, it gets squashed by English, then there's a revitalization. And mm. now actually it's reached the point where there are, universities where it's entirely taught in, in Scottish Gaelic. So mm -hmm. if people are interested in these kind of um, language uh, success stories and, and revitalization, definitely go listen to that one. And, and funnily enough, the, the guy I was talking to that day as well, um, he had a similar story of growing up, hearing a lot of the, the, the language, but not wasn't taught the language and they didn't speak it at home. So when he set out as an adult to kind of reconnect with his culture, that was primarily through language. And I guess that's the kind of the, the important part as well is that you're not just learning a language, you know, it, mm. it, you're, you're kind of, you're reconnecting with, with who you are and your, your history and your personal culture and connection to society. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. You know? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, for myself, that's, that's definitely the reason why I was motivated to learn. And, and the more I learned, the more I learned about myself as a Maori person, the more I learned about my history, the more I learned about my, my culture and, and learned about the things we do, but also the reasons why we do them. You know, we, as, as a people, and we identify with different cultural groups. We, we do certain things, but sometimes we don't, um, 
even ask ourselves why we do these these things the way we do them and and in learning my language it was really a an eye-opener to a Maori worldview that's what it is you know you're learning a different worldview a way of looking yeah. at the world a way of understanding the world and and that is probably the most enjoyable thing in learning in learning another language um not only my own language but but in particular your own language you know when you have a a connection like a blood connection to a, to a cultural language that makes it a, a whole lot more enjoyable and and more meaningful and then people in in Aotearoa in New Zealand who are Pākehā who who don't identify as Māori I've heard I've heard their, them say that for them it's been it's given them an, a better understanding of who they are as a New Zealander you know and and, and it's, it's created this new connection for them to this this land and this place they call home, this place they've known as home forever, um, and, and and knowing the language and I, those kind of stories are starting to spread now. And other people who, who in the past in New Zealand who don't identify as Maori, who kind of thought, well, you know, what's the point? I'm not Maori. I don't. It's, it's there's no relation to me. I don't. There's no use. There's no relevance and those stories are starting to spread and people are starting to go, oh, okay, this, this language does belong to me as well because I live here and this is, you know, this is, I'm connected to this this land through whatever reasons and, and this language belongs to this land. So I, and so those kind of ideas that are very normal when you go to another country, say you go and live in, I don't know, Spain, you, at some point you do need to learn the language, right? In order to live there quite comfortably connect to the people and the place and so that, that those kind of ideas that which should be normal in any country <laughs> where, where there's a, an indigenous language are starting to spread here and people are going oh okay i do have a connection to this language and there is a there is value in learning it fantastic yeah and uh, i would say you said it well when you said it's not just about this language or you know any specific language it's the general act of learning another language you know, obviously, the more connected you are to it personally, the better. Mm. Um, but I would say a lot of the people listening who are learning, you know, uh, you know, could be Italian, could be Spanish, for whatever reason, mm. the joy of seeing a native speaker mm. hear you speak that language, I would say that in and of itself is a huge positive <laughs> and, uh, and something that is a great starting point. And then mm. you get that from just learning how to say, how are you, you know, good morning. And uh, that's kind of the idea of, of certainly the podcast here, but also the whole kind of brand I've built up with actual Funzi is, is to spread that message that, you know, language learning is just a wonderful activity in general, mm -hmm. full stop. But it's not only that, it's also, you know, for the reasons that we just discussed about cultural identity and belonging. And, you know, uh, you said, you said blood culture as well, which is, obviously a, a very personal connection to the language if your grandmother or even closer family uh, were native speakers of it. Um, but it's also, it's also a, a personal development in a way. It's a way to, I guess, it sounds a little bit cliche, but it's like you find yourself as well in, at the end of it, even if it's you're learning a completely different language. Because you also, whatever you learn about other people's culture, you also reflect and mirror it to what you know about your own mm. so it's kind of it, to me that's that's why i mean you asked me before we started recording uh why i went into languages and, and this, this is exactly why mm. 
the uh, the wonderful uh, feel good moments and the positive stories. Of course, there are many uh, horrible things, but hopefully, most of them are in the past. Um, but um, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your story with the world. And I'll be sure to put the links to the the resources we talked about in the description. Um, here at the end, do you want to just record a quick 10, 15 second message in, in Maori to the people who are learning it or even speakers who, who are tuning in um, uh, listening right now? Uh, yeah, I could do. Um, yep. Yeah. You... Fire away. We're going to okay. put it in the episode. Okay. Tēnā koutou e ngā iwi e whakarongo mai nā. Uh, kia kaha koutou e ako ana i te reo Maori. Kia kaha te, te ako, kia kaha hoki te kōrero, tēnā tātou. Wow, <laughs> that's a, definitely a, fan, a fantastic sounding language. Um, so for the for the for the three of us who did, did don't speak the Maori, can you summarize what you said? Uh, I just said just you know kind of greetings to everyone who's listening, and um, if you are learning the language, um, be strong in learning and speaking the language. Wow, thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much for, for waking up early for recording this and, and sharing your, your passion and culture with us. Really appreciate it. No problem. Um, I look forward to um, seeing it or listening to it at some point and listening to some other episodes as well on your podcast. Um, I'll send you through. Um, yeah, there's just 